Welcome to The Markitect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Markitect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Each episode, powered by Pavilion, helps you unlock your professional potential by featuring experts who will share how they build impactful teams and optimize their go-to market execution. Welcome and enjoy the show. Welcome to The Markitect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Markitect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, we have a a genuinely all-star lineup. We're going to cover positioning and messaging because, sadly, it's still a misunderstood concept and both positioning and messaging. And, you know, if you can master them, it can be a very powerful, very strategic tool at your disposal. And we have brought on the show, drumroll, April Dunford, Emma Stratton, and Pep. Don't you dare call him Peep. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Absolutely. Awesome to be here. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Pep, how many times you get called Peep the first time people meet you? Oh, 20 times a day or so. Yeah, there you go. Don't. It's Pep, folks. It's Pep. All right, let's get to it. So every CMO product marketing leader I've spoken to finds themselves in a very similar situation. They're bored. The CEO, the CRO emphatically states that they need to differentiate, rebrand, create a new category, revamp our messaging, ensure we're positioned the right way, and all at once whilst ensuring a healthy pipeline and helping sales win more than they lose. These poor CMOs and PMM leaders are sitting there wondering, where do I start? And this is why we brought in the all-star crew, April, Emma, and Pep. Let's start with the basics, then we'll get into best practices, and then finally, process and implementation as it relates to positioning and messaging. April, let's start with you. Please clear the air, your definition of positioning and messaging. Sure. So, so I define positioning like this. So positioning defines how our product, our offering is the best in the world at delivering something, some value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. It is an input to a lot of things we do in marketing. It's kind of the starting point. It defines who's my, who's my uh, competition? How am I different? What is the value that I can deliver that no one else can? Uh, who are the people that are a very good fit for that? And what is the category that I am going to attempt to win? So it is an input to messaging as one thing, as an example. It's an input to branding. It's an input to a lot of things. Um, messaging, in my opinion, is a kind of the the words manifestation of your positioning. It's like, how do we represent it in in text, in copy, also in iconography, and a lot of ways, like, how are we going to communicate that message out to the world? Love it. Emma, Pep, your take. Yeah, it's hard to follow April's definition because it's spot on for positioning. I think she's done the world a service with defining it so clearly. I kind of take a really simple approach with um, my clients. I kind of tell them that think of positioning as their stake in the ground out there in the market. It is about being really clear and intentional about who you are, um, who you're for, what you actually are, and the number one reason why they should care. 
because actually what I see is a lot of people um, not being clear and making a hard stance with their positioning, right? They're just being generic. And then messaging is, is what you say to bring that positioning to life. I define that as a set of key value statements and benefits that really help you stay consistent across different channels, different mediums. Well, yeah, the only thing I would add here is a lot of people think that positioning is, is a statement that also should go on your website, whereas <laughs> it's more like an internal yeah, strategy easy. exercise, right? And once it makes it onto your website, it's actually messaging. <laughs> so true. So 100% is true. And, and, and I'll, you know, I'll go another step further. So some folks confuse positioning, messaging with branding, strategic narrative, storytelling. They use it interchangeably. Let's set the record straight. Uh, Emma, let's start with you then, Pep, and finish with April. What is the difference between positioning, messaging, branding, strategic narrative, storytelling? Bucket them for us, if you will. Yeah, it's hard. Um, semantics plague this whole area. So we talked about what positioning and messaging is, and I actually put narrative in very closely with positioning and messaging. So for me, narrative is almost like the story, the prose, that is the context, the backdrop for that positioning and core messaging. So it's almost like story form of how it comes to life. And that's really helpful with sales, really helpful with informing first call deck, um, CEO kind of going out and, and telling stories. Also great internally. I think it's hard for people to read a messaging framework and really get what this company's positioning and story is all about. A narrative is just a great way for internal folks to really get behind the positioning and messaging. I actually put branding on like a totally different plane. I used to come from um, consumer branding. I think of branding as tone, mission, vision, values, brand personality, trying to guide perception and feeling about a brand. I think that's why also a lot of startups and tech companies have been burned going to a classic branding agency and asking for positioning and messaging, and they don't quite get what they need to really position their product for success. So I see branding as, as different, but I see narrative as a really great complement for positioning and messaging. Brilliant. Pep, April. Yeah, I mean, the, the narrative sets the context of why our features, capabilities, whatever even matter today. All right. So it's it's not a and you don't tell the story on your website, not you know, typically not. It's it's what you tell in your marketing, in your social media, in your whatever public engagements where, where you speak to your 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 customers, your prospects. Um and the messaging is really like what are the three to five key ideas what that we want our cust target customers to know about us, remember about us, because Nobody remembers everything. Love it. Your, your yeah. three like value drivers that they're really going to hook onto, one of the three or all three. I, lo I love that, Pep. April? Yeah, so I, I agree with all of that. Um, the only thing I'd add to that, because I, I so I'm focused primarily on B2B and, and, I, and I work with tech companies. And so one of the big mistakes that people get when this narrative thing um, is, is complicated because we do not, particularly in B2B, particularly in a venture-backed tech startup, we do not have one narrative. We have many narratives. So we have a narrative that we tell to the VCs, and that's the narrative about the vision and the all singing, all dancing thing. We're going to be in 10 years, and that's going to be amazing, and blah, blah, blah. 
And then we have the narrative that we tell as an employer brand, like why, what's our culture all about? And why do you want to come and work here? And how are you going to further your career to come in here? We got all kinds. And then we got the narrative that we tell in sales and marketing. And that is a very different narrative. It's not the same narrative we're telling to the VCs. Like what we have is like the vision. We got the positioning for where we are right now. And then we got a strategy that takes us from here to there that says, hey, today we're this, but then we're going to add some stuff and then we're going to be this and then we're going to be this and then we're going to be this. And at every step in that journey, you have different positioning and a different sales pitch. The thing about sales, particularly B2B, is we can't get too far out over our skis on this stuff. Like I can only sell what's on the truck. So, you know, if I start talking too much about the vision in my current sales narrative, what I'm going to spark is delay. People are going to say, hey, that sounds great. Come back to me in two years when you have it. And we already have a big problem with that. Like 50 to 60% of B2B purchase processes end in no decision because people are indecisive and can't figure out what to do. So the last thing we want to do is throw in any reason for people to delay. So I think when we're talking about narrative, there's more than one narrative. And, and in positioning, uh, what we're really talking about is the sales narrative, which is, why pick me over the alternatives today? Let's stay with you, April, for a second. Who is doing that well? Well, so I, I got I got a couple of clients that I like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I recently worked with these guys, uh, Funnel, and they're in Sweden, and I love these folks. And their positioning, I just feel like it's so tight right now. Like it's... And the thing about really great positioning is that when you go and look on the website, and people pitch it to you, you go, yeah, of course, that's what it is. Like, what the heck else could it be? And like, that's when you know you really got it. So I think Funnel is doing a really good job. You guys put a link in there. But I mean, they've got this marketing data hub thing, which, you know, is kind of an invention of theirs. And I think they do a really good job right now of just getting right into like, what is it? Why should you care? Who needs to buy this thing? Um, a good contrast to that one would be another client of mine, which is these guys Postman in the Valley, which is um, an API development platform. And so target markets are very different here. You've got the marketers on one side and you've got the you know deep techie developers on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, what I like about Postman is, again, their positioning feels so obvious. Like, what else could it be? Uh, but I'll tell you, before they came up with that positioning, it was very confusing. Like, people were like, are you an API gateway? Are you an API testing tool? I don't get what this thing is. Um, I also think it, they've done a good job with this narrative piece in making that live in a bunch of different places in a bunch of different ways. So they've got blog posts with the narrative. The CEO does conference talks where he's hitting the narrative. They've got a real theme in there about this. You know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're moving towards an API first world. And what does that look like? They made a graphic novel that talks about their narrative. It's on the homepage because their target market is super into graphic novel stuff. So like those, those are two that I would mention. Love it. And consistency in the implementation execution of this. We're going to get to that later in the show, but I love yeah. that you brought that up because most people don't pay attention to that. They're typically exhausted after the positioning and messaging exercise and, you know, the execution limps across the finish line. Uh, Emma, can you share some examples of great messaging, ideally in B2B? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a couple I wanted to call out just because they do things that I think makes kind of great messaging. First is when we talk about differentiation, I think that's something everyone's trying to achieve with their messaging and it's very hard to do. 
And I am a huge fan of Basecamp and how they talk about their product. Because if you look at all the project management space, everyone says the same thing. It's just like, we help you manage your projects and work better together, right? And Basecamp knows that everyone understands what a project management tool is and they're trying to choose one. So they go really hard on why us, not others. They're very clear on what they replace. They're really clear on how they're different. They're also um, have a great conversational tone. They're just very real and they stick to their guns. I really appreciate that. And they really stand out from other uh, solutions. Another uh, company I've always been impressed with how they kind of get their differentiation up at the top of the fold or in their value proposition um, is, is Hotjar, kind of the, the heat mapping tool. Um, right now, they, they say it's like everything you ever wanted to know about your website, but your analytics never told you. And they've always done kind of variations on that, but they are very clear about how they are better than the alternative, the other types of analytic tools. And they've always made that very clear in that top value statement. That's friggin' awesome. Most people, um, most companies, let's face it, just have something super generic up at the top um, or that doesn't really differentiate them. So I really like those two for differentiation. And finally, Intercom, I always think, is great at really understanding their customers, their personas, speaking their language, getting very specific about the challenges that they're up against and the value that they offer. I'm actually a fan of kind of their website last year where they would go into their solutions and you could toggle back and forth between talking to kind of the team, the people using it, and then the end customers. And I read that and I was like, damn, they know their customers so well. It was so personal. It felt like one person talking to another person that really understood. And that is my number one thing about messaging. Prove that you understand and know your customers. Talk like they do. Reference specific things that are going on in their life. And that is how you build trust on the page in your company. Love it, Emma. Thank you. Pep, let's move on to you. I... I... I find it so refreshing when you share on LinkedIn some of the deconstructed uh, pages, uh, good and bad, if you will. And um, so let me ask you this. And, and the question you ask off these pages is, do you even resonate? So who's resonating with their ICP and why? If you can give us a couple of examples, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, two examples that come to mind off the top of my head. Uh, one is Hoganism. So this is a, a sales... Um, like Hoganism? Sorry? No, Cognism. Like like a... Oh, Cognism. Cognism. Oh, I thought you said Hoganism. I was like, wow. Oh, for people <laughs> uh, Yeah, so there are sales... Yeah, I guess intelligence tool, what it, what it, you know, like Zoom Info or Lucia, one of those. Extremely oh. crowded category, right? Like but it's a it's a critical piece. Like any sales-led company uses one of those prospecting list tools. So uh, this category has uh, the problem of a giant who owns a category king, Zoom Info, and it's extremely saturated. There's like 7,000 providers out there. Now, Cognism knows what is the pain point, and the pain point is inaccurate data. Now, if you go to Cognism.com, that's all they're hammering. And that's their, you know, basically why choose us is like 98% accuracy, mobile phone verify, like all the methodology, how to go through it. Um, uh, yeah, so that that's one example. 
Another example of a company in a very, uh, let's say, saturated space is an agency, marketing agency. And, you know, there's only 7 billion of them on the planet. Uh, this is Client Boost with a K, clientboost.com. Now, they have multiple things going for them. One, they have personality. Uh, so they're intentionally alienating some people because, you know, some people don't like the, the personality. The I personally dislike the personality. I'm turned off by it. But I appreciate it. But what they do, uh, they have found uh, a unique differentiator, which a lot of agencies struggle with, which and in their case is they decided to go for we have the most social proof of anyone. And on their website, they somewhere say we have more um, case studies than the, the other agencies have customers. And so if you go to any platform like Clutch, G2, whatever, whatever, they have like a magnitude more reviews than any any other agency out there, and not that's that's like choose us because you know we have a thousand case studies. Love it. So we have now defined positioning and messaging. You've been kind enough to share some examples. Let's get to the meat of it, the nitty gritty. Let's get tangible. So. What's the process? Like, what are the steps involved in developing? We'll start with positioning first. Positioning, what are the steps involved? Who's involved? Who owns positioning? What are the rules of engagement between leadership, product, marketing, sales, CS, rev ops? April, let's start with you. Strictly for positioning, what are the steps to developing your positioning? Okay, well, I'm going to speed run this. Um, so it, it, here's the way I think about this. Like I used to be a repeat VP of marketing, like inside, right? And I did seven different companies. And the, the first thing I learned was if positioning is just some little marketing project, you failed. <laughs> like sales will never use it. Product doesn't care. Your CEO won't adopt it. You know, you could build it, but it doesn't actually stick. And so in my world, we need a cross-functional team together for a couple of reasons. One, because everybody sees a different part of the customer journey. They talk to customers in different contexts. And so we actually want marketing, sales, product, the CEO, founders, customer success together in a room because we want all of that contribution. But also we want consistency across all of those functions. So we need a, agreement and alignment on this positioning so that we can all go out and be singing the same song when we're done. So that's the first thing. Um, I think there's lots of different ways to do it. Like uh, I have a methodology I use. It's very focused on, you know, enterprise B2B software, which is really my jam. And so if that's not what you're doing, then maybe you do something else. But the way I do it is we get this cross-functional team together. We start by working through the component pieces of positioning. So we start with what do I have to position against or put another way, uh, who do I have to beat in order to win a deal? So that includes competitors that look just like you, but that also complete, includes anything like this status quo. So maybe it's a spreadsheet, maybe it's manual processes, maybe it's you know doing it some totally different way. So that's our stake in the ground. We start there. And then we can move to the, from that, we can say, all right, so if that's who we got to beat, what do I got that they don't have? And we start with capabilities, like that's capabilities of the product, but it's also capabilities of the company. Maybe you do pricing in a different way or support in a different way. So we list differentiated capabilities. 
And then we can go down that list and map it to value. So for each of those capabilities, we're like, so what? You got this feature, so what? You got a thousand case studies, so what? Why do I care, right? So what is the value that that capability delivers for the customer's business? And not only that, we can't have a thousand points of value because nobody could remember that. So what we're looking for are the value themes or the value buckets. So what we end up with there is, look, we're the only company in the world that can provide this combination of this plus this plus this, Features are tucked underneath there. Here's how we do it. Um, once I have that, then I can say, okay, I can go sell this thing to anybody that you know fits in my target market, but not everybody cares about my value in the same way. So what are the characteristics of a target account that make them really, really care a lot about the value that only I can deliver? That gets me my uh, characteristics of a best fit customer. Now I know who I'm targeting. And then lastly, I have market category. If I think of market category, as the context we position the product in, then what I'm really looking for is what is the context that kind of makes this value sort of obvious for these people? And so in my mind, that's how we do it. The last thing we do is we take that positioning and we translate it into the story. So how do we actually weave the narrative around that? Because that's how we're going to test it. Brilliant. I'm going to go back to the first thing you started with, which is a cross-functional team. <clears throat> clear on who is on that team in your mind who owns positioning for an enterprise SaaS tech company yeah so see this is this is where things get niggly right so you know <laughs> so i i don't think marketing should do it in a bubble right so i think it's a cross-functional exercise but there okay. should be somebody who is the steward of the positioning once we've got it built, right? Somebody's got to look after it. Somebody's got to make sure we're being consistent. Somebody has to call the meeting six months from now to go check in on it to see if it's still valid. And that is, in my opinion, that is typically product marketing. If you have product marketing in your organization, that is like, it, like if you were to ask me to define what does product marketing do, I'd be like, they are the stewards of positioning. They are the experts on the positioning. They're the reference people for positioning. And they also should be the stewards of this sales narrative that goes with that. So I think that's product marketing. If you don't have product marketing function, then sometimes it's marketing. Occasionally it's product management. But in the companies that I worked at, it was always marketing. God bless you, April. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> Emma, with the positioning in hand, it's a key input into messaging. We all agree on that. Steps for now developing the messaging. Yeah, so plus one to everything April said, especially about the cross-functional team. So when I do messaging, I have a cross-functional team as well because no one will use it. Also, politics, people want to be included. People don't want to feel left out. They don't want a framework thrust upon them that they you know, weren't part of. So get that cross-functional team, have all your departments represented so you have all of those viewpoints. Um, and then, so what I really kind of force people to do in a very loving way is get really focused and tight with their messaging. Too often I see a tight positioning and then it's like, Let's build this crazy messaging house that's 25 pages long with like, you know, pain points and features. And, and I'm like, what are people supposed to do with this framework? Like, what's the actual message here? And you think about all the poor people that are going to have to work off of that messaging house. So I go like way to the other side and I say, OK, I want to take this positioning. I want to translate it into what is the one big win that we are promising our customers so this should be 
tie very closely to the positioning. This is your core value proposition, but I call it the one big win. And we deliver that one big win by giving our customers three superpowers. Those are key benefits, but they they kind of add detail and ladder combined, they ladder up to that one big win. So then it's like, okay, well, what are they and, and how do we choose them? So it should come from that positioning. But I always say, we want to find the intersection of what motivates our customers to make a change. So it's the pains and gains that actually light a fire up their ass to leave the status quo or to choose you over an alternative. So you want that motivation. You also want it to intersect with your product's unique magic. So what is really awesome and unique, again, mapping back to that positioning, you want to find kind of that, that those intersections, and then you want to write a clear, simple human message about it. I always say, say it like you would at a barbecue. Can't tell you how many times the product marketer will like explain something to me perfectly. And I'm like, that is so clear. And then I look how they've written it and it's like, really like long words and it's complicated and it's like just relax how would you just describe that superpower in a simple language and if you can focus on getting that tight one big win three superpowers then you can build and you can nest your features underneath and you can you can build but then anyone can see that's our positioning this is our key message it's clearly about this x y and z and then you can start building consistency in the market. Oh, I, I love that. And, and I love the discipline of that. What is the one big win supported by the three superpowers? So part and parcel of this process is, you know, creating your positioning, your messaging, and then measuring, testing, optimizing. So Pep, building off Emma's process for crafting messaging, you know, as you say, product market fit can exist without message market fit. So how should folks test and optimize their messaging? I think of messaging as um, you need to look at it as layers, like onions, you know, it has layers. So if we want to improve messaging, what exactly are we improving? Uh, My point of view is that messaging is the most important thing when it comes to converting customers into, you know, leads, paying customers, um, and but the conversion is the effect. The cause is somebody wanting to schedule a demo to sign up for the trial, all that stuff. And so increasing user motivation to take action is all about words, which is messaging. And so the key aspect of that is is the value. Am I interested in the promise of value to be delivered? Do I want it? Right. And so, and then uh, the, the the value communication also needs to be credible. I need to believe it. it needs yeah. to be clear, prerequisite. Do I even understand it? It needs to be relevant that it's uh, aligned with my priorities, my um, challenges at hand, uh, OKRs, if you will. Uh, and then also differentiation, like why why do I want the value from you and not these other guys? So clarity, relevance, value, and differentiation. And if you if you think of your messaging. In those four layers, you can improve each aspect separately. Like, is it clear? Is it relevant? How badly do I want the value on a 10-point scale? And um, do I understand clearly why I choose you and not these other guys? And so if you, you know, nail these, your messaging will get better, more effective. Ooh, peel the onion in four layers. I love that. Um, 
we've defined positioning and messaging. You've given fantastic examples. You've told us how to go do it in a, in a very condensed manner. And uh, for our listeners out there, we're going to link some, uh, some robust um, content from these lovely individuals, along with uh, links to some of them have courses. Not some, all of them have courses on, on this. So please, I, I've taken it. It's absolutely fantastic. A lot of the supplementary uh, resources will be available to you as well. Let's end with this, implementing and measuring. So companies, they spend a, a large amount of time on positioning and messaging. Some think they're doing positioning and messaging and you know, meanwhile, they're creating taglines and, and fluffy content. They're not doing positioning and messaging, but they, they think they're spending large amounts of effort on positioning and messaging. And then they're exhausted. They limp to the finish line with the most critical part, which is implementation implementation both internally as well as externally so a change in your position your company's position and then consequently their message this is fundamentally about change management so we'll start with you april and then we'll move on to emma can you share a few tips from your clients for bringing new positioning and messaging to life what, like what form factor does the output of positioning and messaging take? I've seen it done a different way, a few different ways. And then how should companies really evangelize with their internal and external audience and bring this all to life? Yeah, good question. So I so I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Like, um, and so not everybody has to do it the same way. But uh, so first of all, like having a cross-functional team work on it um, is, you know, solves a lot of problems. So, you know, if it's, again, if it was just marketing, doing it like a little marketing thing, and then you try to run it out to everyone else said, nobody's going to understand the context for it. Where did it come from? How did you get there? I don't believe this. Well, I got a question, you know, so having everybody work on it, I think is, is step one. Um, in the positioning work that I do, and again, my focus here is like kind of bigger ticket B2B stuff, um, we do the positioning and it with the same cross-functional team at the same time, we'll work on the sales pitch. So mm -hmm. what's the sales story? How do we tell it? If I'm sitting in front of a customer and first call, how do we pitch it? And then we have something to work with right away. And so we'll use that sales pitch to test it. And what everybody wants to do is go write messaging right away and then test messaging. But then I'm testing messaging. I'm not testing positioning. I'm testing copywriting and and the page and who's coming to the page and all that other stuff. It's way easier if you're B2B and you have salespeople, let's just build a sales pitch out of it and then let's roll that out. So what we'll do is we'll take that sales pitch. We will take one salesperson and we'll test it with that salesperson. So one of the things you got in sales, and this is a psychology thing, um, salespeople love the old pitch, even if the old pitch is shit. <laughs> because they know the old pitch they're comfortable with the old pitch they've been doing the old pitch for like two years so even if you come with a demonstrably better pitch they're gonna be like no i don't want it so if i just toss it over the the transom to sales and say hey new story go nuts they, three months later they'll be like yeah we stopped using that we hate that one Absolutely. so what you got to do instead you take one salesperson your best salesperson you force them to do it so you train them and we get all trained and then we're going to go and we're going to test it on qualified prospects and we're going to tune it. So we're going to spend a few weeks tuning the thing. And depending on your volume of deals coming through, it, that might take you shorter or longer amount of time. But we're going to tune it. And then at the end of that tuning phase, I'm looking at the sales rep and saying, all right, so I'm waiting for the sales rep to say, I think we're done tuning this thing. 
And importantly, um, I'm going to keep using this one. I like this one better than the old one. We call that pass. <laughs> so if I get to that point, then I know I got something that's better than the old one. I'm golden. At that point, I can have salespeople training salespeople. I take my best sales rep, go and train the rest of the salespeople. And now I don't have marketing trying to train sales. And at that point, I'm ready to go build messaging. I validated the story and the thing works. I know the positioning works with a, with a customer. Now I can take that positioning plus the story plus the positioning we've done. And then that goes over. Now we're going to go work on messaging. Um, usually getting sales to adopt it is the hardest part. So I, I basically start with that. <laughs> so now we got sales working and they're good. Now we got to go make the upfront stuff, match the story that we're telling in sales. Um, and again, there's lots of ways to do it. Uh, usually, you know, with the teams I work with, we're building a messaging document as a single repository of stuff that's been approved and everybody agrees. This is the way we're going to talk about stuff. This is our standard messaging. And then we use that as the starting point to go build anything else. We want to go build stuff on the homepage. It's a, it's an implementation of this standard messaging. We start with the messaging doc. So we're always one degree of separation away from that. Instead of what teams do when they don't have one is they'll build messaging for the web page and then they'll build messaging for a brochure or something and then somebody will build something else but they won't go back to the website they'll go to the brochure next thing you know i got six degrees kevin bacon going on at my and i get this message drift so we need like a standard place with the approved messaging here it is it's in this spot and anything we go to build it comes from that and we and we you know twizzle it for whatever purposes we want lovely emma you uh... You, you help these companies craft both positioning and messaging. Um, can you take us through when, when that magic is is finally in, in place? What is your guidance to them to, to bring this to life, both internally and externally with their customers' prospects? Okay, so I have to admit, I have to admit here, the most magical moments have been companies who just run off and run with the message uh, together because it was, they were all part of the process that again, plus one to the cross-functional team that solves like 90% of the problems so that buy-in. Right? So yeah, much. it's everything. So, uh, you know, I worked with a, a company um, and they had a lot of kind of big personalities and they sort of thought we weren't going to be able to do it, but we got everyone together in the room. We had multiple meetings. Everyone had, you know, tested, it was able to kind of like, uh, does this work for our, from our point of view? Like people were getting comfortable with it. And then when we presented kind of here's the messaging document, the, the CMO was like, it's crazy. Like I'm hearing people using the message at like different departments and I haven't even officially put it on the website yet. She was like, it, it, this has never happened to me. And it was really all down to that cross-functional. So um, people just friggin' running off and using it, using it in sales calls starting to use it to craft materials. That's when I know like we've nailed it with alignment with buy-in. Of course, my process is built on customer research and market research and all that. So it's it's not just like, oh, this message sounds good, right? It comes from somewhere. So people just start using it. When we talk about form factors, I mean, we kind of go straight into the main places on the website, whether it's homepage, the main product, platform page, even about page, kind of bringing the narrative, kind of weaving that into the like, why do we even do this? We also do the beginning of the first call deck, right? So starting to bring that narrative into sales. Um, 
but I might just take some of April's approach because that's it. Sales is the is can be the doozy, right? <laughs> and I love that approach that she kind of outlined there to actually get salespeople using the news story. Brilliant. Final question before we do uh, a quick lightning round, which is there's a good amount of money spent, especially for, for small organizations on positioning and messaging. A lot of resources are brought in if done right cross-functionally. So a lot of time at the table as well. And then uh, folks are asking the, the CMO and, and others, we put a lot of bodies on this time towards this. How do we measure the positioning and messaging specifically? What are the quote unquote metrics that we could use to measure successful positioning and messaging? Pep, why don't we start with you, uh, Mr. Optimization and Testing. Yeah, um, I mean, there are long ways and there are short ways and there are quick ways and expensive ways and cheap ways and, and all of the above. Um, and so it's an iterative process. W what I see all the time is that companies, you know, do the heavy messaging positioning work and they cook something up in their lab or whatever they are. And then, then they put it on the website and they think that now we're done with it. Check messaging work completed. Um, and they think it's amazing. And then we put it in front of the target customers. Um, and I asked my methodologist, asked them rate it like in terms of clarity, relevance, value differentiation, put a, a, a number score on a five point scale. Like do you find the clarity three or four or whatever and explain open-ended uh, like after reading this, what do you not get or What's unclear about this section and this section and this section? And so you get both quant and qual data and almost without fail, uh, every first iteration of, of messaging has a lot of problems. Either, uh, and the, the biggest one is like, I just don't see why, like the, the value, perceived value, which is most important part in terms of increasing user motivation and willingness to pay is, is poor. Or, you know, in B2B, of course, clarity uh, problems everywhere or they don't even say you know what the category is or you know it's like basically essentially so so many different problems um yeah so how to measure the quick ways that ship your first iteration and then conduct message testing put it in front of your actual icps uh, and have them rent uh, rate it in terms of uh, some qual metrics and quant metrics and you get rich data back on how it lands on the people you're actually trying to influence. I think we might have lost Rowan. So I, I'm going to pretend I'm I'm the person in charge of this. Emma, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. April's taking over. Okay. I, I think Pep said it all um, on how to, you know, how to really test and optimize. I think the only thing that I would add is I'm like an emotions person. Um, I talk a lot about emotional ROI and I really love seeing uh, a person's reaction. So getting salespeople to um, talk about it with prospects, float the messaging and also, um, you know, the CEO doing it in kind of deeper meetings with other kind of ICP buyers and really feeling the person like feeling that resonance, like, oh, their eyes lit up or like, oh, they're kind of totally like nodding their head when we got into that piece. So that's, it's sort of like, um, 
qual like uh, to the next degree of getting that like how are people actually vibing off of this message? What do they look like? Are they leaning in? And that's really, you get that through actual one-on-one conversations. So that's something that we do in the beginning, early testing, <clears throat> early testing of a message. Yeah, that, that, that resonates a lot with me. Like that's, that's a lot of the stuff I'm doing. Like I'm not so much on the messaging side, but more on pure positioning. And so people are always ask me like, what's the metric, right? Like, can we, how do we measure it? And in B2B, there's a lot of ways we should see an improvement in a bunch of metrics, but often it takes a lot of time, right? Like our sales cycles are long. We're not actually doing that many deals. So it takes a while before we have enough deals to actually measure it. And everybody wants to go fast. And so the easiest way to test if we did a decent job on positioning is like, does it work better than the old thing? <laughs> and the easiest way to test that is Again, I'm going to turn it into a sales pitch and then we're going to pitch it to people and we're just going to watch what they do. And so are they like, what? I don't get it. You know, so we're looking for are they are they excited? Are they confused? What are the questions they ask? Are they comparing us against the competitors we want them to compare us to? Are they comparing us to something else? Um, And then. If we do this, we, we're usually picking like really good sales rep to do this with. Good sales rep has good gut feel on this stuff. Like good sales rep is like, well, that's a way better pitch than the old pitch. Like like a good sales rep can can say, you know, whatever. And we should see like an acceleration in these deals that hit first call. Um, and we should be able to see that fairly quickly. But a lot of what we end up doing is like, is this better than the old pitch? And after after the reps real comfortable with the story and we've done a bunch of these pitches and we've tuned it like, is it better than the old one? If 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 my best sales rep comes and says, oh, this is way better than the old one, I'm go- I'm keeping this versus the old one. And there's this huge bias towards the old pitch. Then I know we got something and we're confident enough to, OK, let's go build messaging off that and then we'll test that. And just to drive more pipeline. So before we get into the sales conversation, if you want more if product led more free trials or we want more demo schedulings, right? Do message testing at qual feet like on how to imp- basically you're building a hypothesis of how our messaging could be better. You you rewrite it, you optimize it. But is it better? Well, the only way to know really quantitatively is it better if if you if you run an Perfect. actual proper A B test uh, uh, with the metric of uh, demo scheduled, right? Qualified demo scheduled. Uh, and that, that that way, you know, is B better than A and by how much, like we, we're getting 20% more demos because our articulation of value is, is you know, better. I love it. I love this this combination of qualitative and quantitative uh, means short and long term by which we can test this crucial, crucial exercise of position and messaging. Um, let's end with a bit of a lightning round. One tip from each of you. Let's stick with you. Um, Can you share one tip for our audience regarding resonating with their ICP? What's the one clear? Make it clear who this is for. Like, if you have this problem, if you're this type of person, this type of company tackling this type of challenge, just just so often it's just not even mentioned, and people have love it. Brilliant. Emma, what's your one tip for anyone starting a messaging exercise come Monday morning? Yeah, I would tell them to just be willing to sacrifice. It's key. Ask yourself, if we could be known for just one thing, what would we like it to be? What's the big win? Followed by your three superpowers. I love that. Um, April, we'll end with you. 
What is the one tip you give anyone starting a positioning exercise? Well, I would be like, bravo, you're ahead of like 90% of companies that don't, that just like think it is what it is and we're not even going to go do it. (laughs) So that, and then, and then the other thing I would say is like, again, two things, cross-functional team, like don't make it a little marketing thing, get sales involved, get product involved, get your CEO in the room. Um, and then, uh, and then don't just get everybody in the room and make it some kind of free for all. Like we're all just going to get in the room and say, Hey, why does everybody love our stuff? Like we get everybody in the room, but we need a process to go build the stuff. If you do that, then I think you get good results. Brilliant. Thank you all. Positioning and messaging for me alongside of pricing are the two greatest levers a company can leverage for growth hands down and folks are all the better from hearing from you because of that. So I appreciate all your time. Uh, All the best in 2023. If we don't chat again, thanks again for giving us your time. Thanks for having me here.